so this evening I want us to answer a similar question to the one we um, asked this morning. And the question is, what does God want for all married men in Christ? What does God want for all married men? What is God's definition of success for a married man? And to help us answer this question, I want us to just pick up where we left off this morning. Uh, in the morning, we looked at Colossians 3, verse 18, and it taught us that God wants married women in Christ to be like it says in verse 18. Wives, be submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. That's what we looked at this morning, and we said there are two truths we learned this morning, isn't it? God wants all married women to submit to their husbands, and secondly, God wants wives to submit to their husbands because it is our privilege in Christ. Those were the two truths we learned this morning. Well, I said that we're going to speak to husbands this evening, and that's what I plan to do. Uh, I want us to see what God has to teach husbands from the, verse 19. Um, what does God want for all married men in Christ? And just like this morning, this uh, verse has two answers. To give us first it's in your outline God wants all husbands to love their wives with his love God wants all husbands to love their wives with his love God has designed marriage as a lifelong union of a man and a woman and that every man every married man must love his wife not with human love but with the love of God Husbands, love your wives, the Bible says. Now, if you've been following us, I know it's been a while in Colossians, but actually, this is the sixth time that Paul has mentioned love. For example, in chapter 1, verse 4, uh, he told us that he has heard how the Colossians already love each other. It's one of the marks of, the, of, 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 of their profession. Faith, love, and hope, but love there in the middle. In, in chapter 1, uh, verse 8, it says, This love the Colossians have is not a man-made love. It is a love fueled by God the Holy Spirit. It comes from the triune God. Paul speaks of their love in the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 8. And a few verses down in chapter 1, when we come to verse 13, it tells them that God the Father has love for God the Son. Christ is the beloved Son of God. If you like, all followers of Christ are now living in the kingdom of the beloved Son. We must love each other because it is who we are now in the kingdom. The king, the king of the kingdom is love. Christ himself is the king of love. God is love. Right? And in Christ, Christ himself is the king of love. Right? The currency of the kingdom is love. We must love each other because it is who we are in this kingdom of love. But Paul knows that even though the Colossians and all true followers of Christ have this love already, there is more growing to do. We can always grow more in our love. And that's something as believers we need to remember. There's always more love for us to grow into. And so when he gets to chapter 2, verse 2, Paul shares his deep desire for them to grow 
in love so that they can grow in, being, in knowing Christ. He wants them to be lovingly united. And later on, he commands them to do just that, doesn't he? When we get to chapter 3, uh, verse 14 there, we have that command which we looked at, that they are to love one another. Paul wants them to remember that the love for one another is not a small thing. It is the glue of perfection that binds all the believers together. And this is true not only for the local church, but also in marriage. And so it's not a surprise that after he speaks of the church in verse 14, as he begins to speak to people who are married, Paul, when he gets to husbands, what does he say? Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Paul is saying to all husbands who profess faith in Christ, you must love your dear wife, not with an earthly kind of romantic sexual love or sort nothing wrong with that, but that's not the focus, but with the spiritual love of God, with agape. That's the word here for love. Agape, your wives. The love that God has shown and lavishly poured on you in the work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the love you are to love your wives with. Now, there are six things, when you think about agape, six things that we learn about love from this word agape. Or from understanding how God has demonstrated his love to us, his agape, through the cross of Jesus. And those six things I just want to talk you through are important as we think about what is God asking us. Well, he's asking us to image his love in Christ. He's asking husbands here to love their wives as God himself has loved us. Husbands, agape your wives. Six ways. First, the husband must love his wife unconditionally. That's agape. Without any strings attached. Your love for your wife must be unconditional. He must not expect anything in return. It must be a love independent of our behavior and our actions. Agape is love that not only reaches out to the person uh, when they deserve it, it is love for our enemies. That's what agape is. For people who hate us. But more so your wife already loves you. Right? What more so your wife has already committed herself to you. You must love her unconditionally. As God has loved us. In Christ. Christ, God the Son, died for us, rebellious, ungodly, sinful creatures. We deserved only hell. We had nothing to attract the love of Christ to us. But Christ is so full of love and tenderness. He willingly died for you. He took your sins and your sorrows and he made them his very own. The hymn writer says, He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died there for you alone. That's one way love. Unconditional love that Christ has shown you. Once, husband, once you were a sinner, Christ died for you. He showed you his agape love. A love for those who don't deserve it. And now, as, as Paul speaks to us, he's saying, do the same. Go and love your wife the same way. Let your love for her be a human billboard of this unconditional love that you have received from God. 
your love for your wife must be free and uninfluenced. It should be love that cherishes her even in those moments when she has offended you. Even in those moments when you think she has betrayed you in some way. You must have genuine affection for her even when she sins against you. Brother, is this your love for your wife? I ask myself the same question. Is this my love for my wife? Are we loving unconditional? Love your wife unconditional. The second, secondly, husbands must love. The husband must love his wife constantly. That's agape. Agape is love that never quits. Paul is saying your love for your wife must not be a sort of on and off thing. Your love must be continuous. In, in, in the good seasons and bad seasons, let the flame of love for her burn. This must be a constant, continuous love. You must keep loving and loving to love her. That's how God loves us. He doesn't just love us, he loves to love us. The Puritan, Matthew Henry, I think, put it that way. And that has to be our love for our wives. Not only to love them, but to love the fact that we love them. And longing to love them more. Pray earnestly as you age to grow greater in love. You must look back, I love my wife more this year than I did last year. Brothers, can we say that? Or as each year passes, are we becoming more frustrated? Unconditionally, constantly. Thirdly, the husband must love his wife sacrificially. When Paul says, husbands, love your wives, he means agape your wives sacrificially. The love of God in Jesus is a sacrificial love. Christ gave himself up for us, his bride. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. And walk in love, how? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The love of Christ for you is costly. Christ literally gave up his lifeblood for you. And this is the template that husbands are meant to follow in loving their wives. Christ gave up his lifeblood for the church. And Christ is calling on husbands through the words of Paul to love therefore their wives sacrificially. When Paul says, husbands, love your wife, he's saying to husband, you must die for your wife. Not necessarily physically. He says you must die to self. Love is self-crucifixion. Brother, are you growing in putting your wife first? Can you honestly say that you have grown over the last year in humbling yourself before her? Do the relatives of your wife think, now, here is a man who loves our family member so much that is willing to become nothing for her happiness. Can they say that? Or if you ask them anonymously, they would give a different assessment. They say, is a little selfish, isn't he? Always demanding. Would that be what they say? Can people who know our marriages in this church 
give such a testimony about them? Can they say, I look at that man and the way he loves his wife, he does it sacrificially. I ask myself that. Am I, as a husband, really giving my all for the happiness of my wife? Are you? Are you using every opportunity in your life with your wife to humble yourself as an opportunity to humble yourself to serve her? Are you every day growing in embracing death to self in loving service to your wife? Now, no man can do this in their own strength. No one can. And so we must pray to God to make us the most humblest of men. The humblest of men that we can be towards the woman God has given us to love. And we need to give ourselves to reading and sitting under the word of God so that God can humble us. Wives, do you want a husband who is growing in loving you unconditionally, constantly, and sacrificially? If you do, the answer is sit him under the word of God. As I think about this truth, it is shocking that so many women in Christ seem to fill their husband's life with pointless activities. Pointless activities. So pointless activities that they arrive on a Sunday completely unable to engage. Beloved, do you love yourself or not? You should have a healthy love for yourself if you're a woman who's married. And the way you express that healthy love for yourself is make sure your husband is, 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 is sitting under the word so that he can love you better. If he's sitting under the word, he will learn to do unconditionally, constantly, sacrificially. He'll be growing in these things. And the way he grows in these things is by being exposed to the means of grace. And that includes sitting under the word. The best thing you can do for your happiness and the happiness of your children, listen to me, if you love your children, I'm speaking to women now, the best thing you can do for your happiness as a married woman and the happiness of your children is to ensure your husband is in church. A.M., P.M., and midweek Bible study. Let him be exposed to the word. If he won't read the Bible as consistently at home, at least let him make use of the means of grace the church has led on because that is God's program for him. That's a side point. You get the point. Sacrificial. And I've just been making the point of how we grow in loving sacrificially. Fourthly, the husband must love his wife willingly, unconditionally, constantly, sacrificially. Fourth, willingly. That's agape. One of the things that, we, that Paul is communicating in that passage we read from Ephesians is that Christ gave himself up for us willingly. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He wasn't forced to die on the cross. He willingly gave himself up for us. That's the force of that text. A willing love. What is a willing love? A willing love is a love that's proactive. And that's what Paul means when he says to husbands, husbands, love your wives. We should read that as saying, husbands, love your wives proactively. Right? Proactively. Paul is saying to husbands, you must constantly look for opportunities to show love to your wife. She shouldn't have to manipulate you to love her. She shouldn't. 
Now, we are sinners, and love that is willing is hard, comes hard to us. We are blind to the needs around us, especially to the needs of our precious wives. So husbands, we need to come to God. Only God can do this for us. We need to come to God to tear open our hearts, to forces we're in, and help us to see. We need to be reminded to, to, to go to him for help. We, we must ask the Lord to, to, to wake in, wake out, to help us to cry out to him so that we can grow in being willing, so that he can break our hearts, so that we are more willing to obey and live for him. We must come to God and say, Lord, open my eyes to see the needs of my wife. Help me to meet those needs and help me to do it willingly. I know that is a dangerous prayer as I was thinking about it. It is a prayer that would take you to places where your only source of dependency is on the grace of God in Christ. But we must not be afraid of that, to pray it. Our God will help us. He's our shield and our defense. He's our ever-present help. God will help us because he wants us to love our wives willingly as Christ loves. As loved us ever so willing. Are you not thankful for the, love of, the willing love of Christ to you? I hope you are. Well, if, if you know Christ loves us willingly, he surely give us help to enable us to love our wives willingly. Fifth thing, the husband must love his wife exclusively. When Paul says, husbands, love your wives, we shouldn't assume Paul is saying, in addition to other loves, <laughs> or alongside other loves. The love for the wife is an exclusive love. And it's amazing, isn't it? God has loved his church exclusively. The love of God for his church is an exclusive love. It's for his bride, for the elect. When Paul says, therefore, husbands, love your wives, we must understand Paul saying to husbands, love her because she's the love of your life. You must love your wife exclusively and with purity. There must not be any room in your heart for other women. Physical or digital. We must understand that. All forms of adultery are forbidden. And beloved, let us be clear that for a married man, all forms of pornography is adultery. It's a heinous sin. The tragedy of the way we call this thing pornography is that we have, we have forgotten it's a sin of adultery or a sin of fornication. You must have no other loves. See the sin for what it is and weep before God and cry out to God to deliver you from it if that's a problem. So I ask brothers here, brothers, is your love for your wife for your wife only? Are you allowing other loves, pure or sinful loves, to compete with the love of your wife? If you are, repent of that now. Are you allowing the love for your wider family to take precedence over your love for your wife? I'm not saying you shouldn't love other family members, but your wife's love shouldn't compete with family members. Is, is your love for children taking priority over your love for her? 
Is your love for your friends competing with your love for your wife? Well, you must repent. Your love for your wife must be second only to God. Only to God. That's how God has designed it. Only to God. All the other family relationships come second. I'm not demeaning them who come to the role that, you know, parents and things like that. That's important, but remember that. Your wife must take priority. That's the way God has designed it. Where are we? Number six. Sixth and final thing there. The husband must love his wife practically. So unconditionally, constantly, sacrificially, willingly, exclusively, and of course, agape is practical. God in Christ has not just talked about his agape for us. He has shown it in practice. God has shown us agape by sending his beloved son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ our God, our God has come wearing the rags of our human flesh. He has cried tears in Gethsemane. He has been judged by sinners, spat on, mopped on, flogged on. He has walked with open wounds to Golgotha. God the Son has been nailed to that cross of wood in weakness and shame. On the cross, he suffered the wrath and punishment from God for your sin. And so when Paul says in verse 19 here, he says, Husband, love your wives. What he's really saying is, you must be like your Lord. Practical. You must give your wife your body and your soul to her. You are now one flesh with her. You must live like that in practice. Love your wife practically by giving her your body, your mind, and your time. Brothers, for those of us who are looking to get married, this is what we are looking to do, aren't we? Unconditioned, constant, sacrificial, willing, exclusive, and practical love. For those of us who are married, let us confess, beloved, that our love for our wives is often all talk. We talk a lot of good love, especially when middle Fridays. <laughs> our love is all talk, isn't it? It's all talk mostly. We can say a lot about how much we are to love our wives and how much we love our wives, but we do very little practical love. We have a lot of repenting to do. I have a lot of repenting to do, and that's why it took me a long time to preach this sermon. <laughs> I'm still repenting. Right? But I had to uh, say, Lord, in your grace I stand. So, so we have a lot of repenting to do. We are not loving unconditionally, constantly, sacrificially, willingly, exclusively, practically as we should. Especially that point of practical love. Let us cry out to God to help us. Now, this raises an inevitable question, doesn't it? And the inevitable question is this. What does it look like to love your wife practically? What does that look like? The answer is our next point. Because what Paul is expecting husbands at Colossae and us to do differently is what he's about to say. Husbands, love your wives and what? And do not be harsh with them. I think what Paul is saying here is our second truth is this. God wants all husbands to love their, wife, their wives with his care. 
The, the love must express itself in practical care for the wife. That's the second truth. God's design for marriage is that all married men who profess to follow the Lord Jesus must show practical evidence of love by caring for their wives in a practical and tangible way. And Paul expresses this command by saying, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. The second part of the command is intended as a specific application of the first. Love, how do we do it practically? Do not be harsh with them. Paul is saying to husbands, God wants you to love your wives and the way you show this in practice by treating them with what? With full respect and care. That's what Paul means by when he says, do not be harsh with them. Now, that phrase, I commend it to you to study deeply in your own time. But I think what you discover is this. When you study that, that phrase, you meditate on that. I think what you discover is that do not be, and you read around it, what you discover is this. The command, do not be harsh with them, has both a positive and negative element to the command. Positively, do not be harsh with them. Paul is saying to every married man, you must be gentle to your wife. Be warm. Be tender when you're dealing with your wife. Be careful not to claim your rights in a way that makes it harder for her. Handle her like you're handling a baby. That's gentleness. As someone lovely, because she is. As someone fragile, because she's a weaker vessel. Be so concerned for her that it has a restful impact on her. When people are gentle, they have a restful impact on us. When she's in your presence, she must feel welcomed. She must feel valued. She must feel cared for. She must be at peace in your presence. Be warm and tender also in how you talk to her. That's gentleness. Do not be abrupt. Do not be unfeeling, unfeelingly blunt, I meant to say. And certainly do not be subliminal. Do not make subliminal comments to your wife, your dear wife. Be wife-centered. Address her as she wants to be addressed. That's what we said about gentleness. A gentle person addresses other people as they want to be addressed. They don't impose their views on the person. They want to know, how do you want to be addressed? How do you want to be addressed? And, and as husband, if we're being gentle to our wives, we must speak to them the way they want to be honored in a biblically appropriate way. You must be calm, respectful. You know, your wife should not be thinking, I want to talk to him about this, but this is just going to turn into another argument. He's not going to take time to listen to my point of view. He's already made up his mind. doesn't matter how I put this across to him. He's not going to be sensitive. He's not going to respect me. He won't let me finish my sentences. Husbands, we've all been there, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. We don't want that. He's not going to let me finish my sentence. He's not going to be considerate. He's always going to do what he always does. He's going to wound me without healing. So I'll just let this issue rest. Nah, nah. That is not the husband God wants you to be. God wants us husbands to be warm and inviting to our wives. 
We must care for them with God's care. As Jesus himself would be caring for them if he was in your shoe. I know it's a, it's a difficult thought experiment to say if Jesus was married to your wife, how he would care for her. But essentially, that is a thought experiment. His love, in fact, he's already married to her in the sense that she is his bride. And so it's not a far experiment. It's simply to say, Christ, how does Christ treat your wife? That's how you should be trying to treat your wife. God wants his husband to be warm and inviting, to care for them with God's care. That's a positive sense of this command. Do not be harsh with them. There's a negative sense to it. The negative sense Paul is saying is this. Negatively, Paul is saying to husband, you need to embrace meekness in your marriage. That's what it means. Do not be harsh with them. They have wounded you perhaps in some way and you want to retaliate. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. Be willing to suffer instead of revenging against your wife. When your wife does something annoying, do not give in to the temptation to get even. Do not exert your authority by punishing her in some way. Do not let how your wife treats you lead you into sin. Submit your heart to God out of meekness. And with God's help, ask God's help to show love to her. And, and, and I think what it means for us husbands, it's a, it's a difficult thing for us to do. But it means that when our wives offend our leadership in the home and being meek and tender means we must always be the first to take an initiative. I hold my hand up that this is an area I need to grow in. Because when there's a disagreement, you are there thinking, when is she coming? <laughs> well, when is she, she going to bring this up? No, no, that's not leadership. I've learned better after studying this passage. Leadership is us going to the wife, right? God wants you to walk towards the pain in the situation by getting over yourself, by reaching out to her and saying, I still love you and I want to be the one pursuing you. And you know, brothers, we once did that. <laughs> the pursuing thing. We should keep pursuing. That is also agape. We could have added that as the seventh thing. Honestly, it could have been the seventh point. Under that, agape pursues. Right? And we must keep doing that, right? Now, as I say, I know in my own life that this command is very difficult. This command to love our wives practically, with warmth, with tenderness, with meekness, is very difficult. It feels impossible, doesn't it? Why is caring for our wives in a way that God is commanding us here hard for us? Well, because frankly, it's a hard issue. God must make me love my wife like he does. Yes, God has given me a new heart, but I'm not yet what I should be. My sin nature, my daily sins, addens my heart before God and my wife. There is a part of me that seeks to continuously make me bend in on myself. It is a struggle to die to self. Because self-denial here is the issue, isn't it? Self-denial is key to love the wife. That's what makes it hard. Sin nature. But praise God that loving like he does is hard, but it is not impossible. It is not impossible for us in Christ because we have a new capacity to love. And remember, it all comes back to Colossians 3 verse 9 to 
to, to, to 12 there as the anchor base of what we are looking at as we keep going forward. We need to keep coming back to understand where Paul is coming from. Because in verse 9 of chapter 3, he said, Do not lie to one another, seeing what you have put off the old self with its practices. And what has happened? You have put on the new self, which is what? Being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. And then he says there in verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Those are the virtues, but it's the same principle that applies to relationship. You have a new capacity now to love your wives. When we read the command in verse 9, in light of what we just read, it brings relief to husbands in Christ. Paul is not saying we do this in our strength. He's saying to husbands, keep on growing in loving your wife because you have put on a new humanity in Christ that is growing into his image. Christ loves your wife. That's his bride he died for on the cross. And the more you become like Christ, the more you image his love in your marital relationship towards your wife. The Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, is full of love. And he shared his love to us by being our warm, tender, and nourishing husband. Paul makes this point. Let me just final passage reference. Ephesians chapter 5. A passage which I hope is familiar to you if you just look it up now. Ephesians 5. Uh, it's worth looking at. Ephesians 5 verse 28 to 32. Uh, where Paul says this. I'm going to start there. It says, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever ate his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of his body, verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. Paul is saying that in Ephesians, all followers of Christ are married to Christ. We've talked about that. Christ has joined himself to the church. As one flesh and is loving and caring for us every day. Just as marriage binds the husband to the wife as one flesh, the church is also now one flesh with Christ by the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. This is our mystical union with Christ. Christ in us, the hope of glory, isn't it? We are his very body. And because we are his body, what does Christ do? Christ takes care of us. In the same way, each of us takes care of our own bodies. Christ is nourishing us into maturity. He is also cherishing us. And by the way, the word for cherish uh, is, is, is there in verse 29 of Ephesians 5. is really a bad metaphor. It, it, it's a word picture of how a bird keeps their young warm. Christ is a warm husband to us. He's not a distant husband. He's close. He's warm, tender, and protective. His love for his church is intense and it is personal. Christ is lovingly keeping us in his embrace. He is cheering us as, as, as our loving prophet, as our loving priest, as our loving king. He's our helper against sin and suffering in this present world. And because we share love with this Jesus, 
this warm and tender Jesus, our precious King of love. That's why Paul is saying to husbands in verse 90, do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You have the capacity to be warm and tender to your wife, to embrace meekness, because Christ in you has done this. And so, there we have, isn't it? God wants all husbands to love their wives with his love, and God wants all husbands to love their wives with his care. So, how do we do that in practice? How do we grow in doing this? Well, let me just give you four things there on your outline, and then I'll end. Four actions, practical actions we must take to grow in obeying this command for husbands. First command, first, first action for husbands. Be convinced that loving your wife is good for you. You have to be convinced. Everything I've said today, you must be convinced of it first. That this is good for you. Otherwise, there will be no progress. Be convinced that loving your wife is good for you. And it is good for you fundamentally because love is an attribute of God. If God is love, then it must be good for us to love. Is there anything better than us growing in the character to be like our God and King? If Christ, our husband, loves his bride, the church, then it must be good for us as husbands to love our wives. Are you convinced of that? Be convinced this is good for you. Be convinced this is good for your wife. Be convinced that because it's good for your wife, it is good for your marriage. And if it's good for your marriage, it's good for your family. If you want to have a loving home, you need to grow in loving your wife. Do you want your marriage to not simply endure but flourish? Do you want it to flourish? Do you want to have happy and loved children in your home? Well, grow in loving your wife deeply. Children that comes from homes where the parents do not love one another struggle in life. You don't have to be an expert to know that. But if you are loving your wife, you are adoring your wife in a nice biblical sense, not compete with the love of God, but as a second love then that's going to impact your home. It's going to impact, it's going to impact the children as well. Loving your wife is good for your life, brother. But you need to be truly convinced of this truth in your heart. So convinced that you cry out to God to help you grow in this. And seeking help from God starts with repentance. And that's the second thing you must do. This is the second thing we must do. As husbands, we must repent of our lack of love for our wives. You see, the problem with us is that repentance doesn't come easy to us. Most of us think our wives are very blessed to have us. You're hearing this, you're saying, well, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I, I, I'm not sure I'm saying this, but I tell you, my wife is blessed to have me. I'm doing very well. That's our attitude. We ask, we're looking at ourselves and we're saying, what is not to like about me? Well, just ask your wife anonymously. She'll tell you a lot. The point is that 
What is wrong with that question? What is not to like about it? What is wrong with it is that we are looking at the world, isn't it? And we're seeing broken homes. We are looking at other people in the church and we know to ourselves with pride, I'm not like him, I am okay. Do you see what's going on? My brother, stop looking at other marriages. Stop being like the Pharisee and, and looking at others and saying, I'm not like him, praise the Lord. Don't be looking at other marriages and saying to God, Lord, thank you, I am not like Jack over there who engages in pornography or who I saw shouting at his wife the other day. I'm all right. Stop doing that. Your sins before God are just as ugly and as damaging to your marriage. So this evening, come before the Lord Jesus. And I'll just say for those of us who are in leadership, this is a challenge of leadership. Because in leadership, you get to hear so many issues of marriages and things like that. And we could forget to work on our own marriages. And we have to be accountable to one another, brothers, in this area. You see so many pastors falling all over the place. How does that happen? We, we hear so many things. We can start comparing ourselves and we forget home base, as it were. So let us stop looking at other marriages. This evening, come before the Lord Jesus. Confess that love is kind and you are not always kind to your wife. That's a sin. Repent. Confess that the Bible says love is gentle and you are often very harsh to your wife. Repent. Confess that love waits for others, the Bible says. And you are often impatient with her. Repent of that. Confess that love is humble. It serves others. And confess that you often constantly mourn about babysitting. How much time you have to spend babysitting. How much time you have to care for the children. Confess that you are just washing dishes. I want my hand up. It's a hard work. Let us confess that is not a heart of servitude. Uh, I think I have to delete this sermon a bit in case my wife plays it back to me. <laughs> but you, you get the point, right? We'll rub off there. Wash the dishes there, right? <laughs> but you get the point, though. Love always moves to forgive others, doesn't it? But you and I often behave like court bailiffs on our wives. You want your wife to pay for the sins that Christ has already paid for. What is that? That's hypocrisy. So come to God. Confess to God today. Admit your lack of love is a problem for you. Repent of it and ask the Lord to renew you and grow your love for your dear wife. The third thing you need to do. Two more things. The third thing. Pray to God to positively grow you in your love for your dear wife. Right? There's no other way uh, to grow in love except by the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? Only God can grow you in love and make you this warm, tender, and meek husband for your wife. You, you can't do it. Uh, you are not supposed to. You have to seek God for it. We want growth that comes from God. As as, as Paul has already talked about in Colossians. That's the Christian growth. Growth, chapter 2, that comes from God. That grows God's way. And therefore we must pray for that. A couple of things to pray for. Pray specifically that God would enable you to truly die to self. I think that's top prayer. Pray to God to really humble you in your marriage. That could come many ways. It could come through a sickness. 
perhaps, where you just completely dependent on your wife and you realize you, you've always needed her. God can use anything. Try and be obedient before God uses those drastic measures. We don't want those drastic measures. But you get the point. Pray honestly to, to start humbling you now. Don't wait for God to force you to be humble through a drastic change. Right? Pray to God to, to, to help you think more of her. To be willing to suffer injury rather than to dish it out to her. And then finally, this is I think an important part as I was thinking about this. I think you need to pray to God, and this is critical I think, of everything I've said. Please, I hope you're going to take this away. Wake up on this one as I like to say, right? Pray specifically for God to help you to deal with your wife in such a way that you do not violate a conscience. What do I mean by that? I think this is one of the most terrible things we do as husbands, right? Our wives disagree with us. They have their own deep convictions before God. But our force of personality can make them act contrary to our wife's desires, our wife's own conscience. Now, I said this morning wives must submit to their husbands. And they must do that all the time if doing that is not sinful, right? If what your husband is asking you is not sinful, you must submit. That's what I said this morning. It's as simple as that. That, That's verse 18, right? In all areas of wisdom, you must defer to his authority. But here's the thing, I didn't go into it because I left it for this evening. The wife and the husband have disagreed over something. Okay? The wife thinks it's a sin and she's not willing to submit. The husband thinks this is not a sin issue. They're both believers in this case, right? It's a wise thing. You need to submit. You should submit to the wife, to the husband, right? Always submit to the husband. There's no submission the other way around, right? So, so that's sermon one, right? But it's a gray area. Two believers genuinely in marriage have disagreed. Their assessment. The wife thinks it's a sin. The husband thinks it's a gray area. It's, it's a wise wisdom issue. What do you do? What do you do in that situation? They have disagreed on what constitutes a sin and a wise thing. What I think they should do is that they should always, that's how I run my, my life, you should always err on the side of caution. Right? If the wife thinks it is sinful, the husband in this gray area, must respect the conscience of the wife. And what he then must do is that he must pray to God to change her mind. What he must never do is force the wife to act contrary to her assessment of the situation. That's leadership. It is a heinous sin before God to force someone to go against their conscience. If the wife is not willing to do something because it's sinful, and the husband's judgment is that it's not. Either you bring in help from the church to help you think through it biblically, or as a husband, you defer. Always, err. you are there as a loving protector of our holiness before the Lord. Never force her to act against our conscience. And I would say, I see this happen all the time. And it's a heinous sin before God. So pray that Repent of where you forced your wife to act against her conscience. 
and pray that in going forward you are dealing with her with full dignity of her personhood. You are there to safeguard her personhood before God. So she's not violating her conscience. Okay? The final thing, and I'll end here. Keep meditating on the loving heart of Christ. That's the final thing. Be convinced loving your wife is good for you. Repent of your lack of love for your wife. Pray to God to grow your love for your wife. And finally, meditate on the love of Christ, the loving heart of Christ. We only know what love is because love walked, walked among us, isn't it? Love walked among us. Christ is love wearing our flesh, right? And in Jesus, therefore, we have a perfect portrait of how a husband ought to love his wife. And as a husband, as I said, we have no excuse. We have Christ as our example, right? So we have no excuse. So make it your aim. If you want to grow as a husband, make it your aim to study Jesus. His perfect humanity. Our second Adam. You're preparing to get married? Study Christ as you're prepared to be married. Men need more study of Christology. More study of the humanity of Christ. That's the way we grow in marriage. And especially study how Christ has loved his bride, the church. The more you meditate on Christ, the more you meditate on his love for the church, I think the more you grow in your love as a husband for your wife. And I say start this week. And if you need help, we are always here to help. So to conclude then, we have learned two truths. God wants all husbands to do two truths. He wants them to love their wives with his love, to show their love with practical care and concern for their wives. Those are the two truths. And we've learned four ways we just looked at on how we can grow in practice. Be convinced loving your wife is good for you. Repent of your lack of love for your wife. Pray to God to grow your love for your wife and meditate on the love of Christ for his bride. Amen.